Before we do, I'd like to look at a few items on this outline together, so as to set the stage and so that we're talking about the same thing. As we did last week's topic, and the one before, I would like to discuss miracles from the point of view of both reason and faith. And as we think about the testimonials that we will share with each other, let's keep those two approaches in mind. There is a story about miracles that I don't know where it originated, but I've heard it in sermons and seminars over the years, and it goes something like this, that there was a man on top of his house fixing the roof, and all of a sudden he began to slide, and it looked like he was going to take a tumble from the second story to the ground, and in panic he prayed and said, oh Lord, save me. And about halfway down the roof he said, never mind Lord, I'm caught on a nail. <laughs> Everybody agrees what you're talking about. 
The dictionary I have, Webster's 7th Collegiate, says that a, that a miracle is an extremely outstanding or unusual event, thing, or accomplishment. Well, that's kind of vague to me. The dictionary always uses words that, all, then after you look it up, all those words need defining. You keep moving and by the time you're through, you don't know where you started. The last time I gave this series at Trinity Lutheran Church in East Islip, a lady in the group brought me a reprint of the definition of the word miracle from a Bible dictionary. And it covers three pages, three columns on a page. So if anybody wants to know what a miracle is, I'm not going to type this out. The best definition I know of for miracles is in the book by C.S. Lewis called Miracles. I'll pass this around. It's available either like this or as part of a paperback that has just been issued called The Best of C.S. Lewis. And there are five of his books in one in religious bookstores. C.S. Lewis, of course, is a very uh, clear writer. And the fact that C.S. Lewis was at one time an unbeliever and came to faith and then devoted the rest of his life explaining Christian faith to unbelievers makes it all the more valuable. He was a professor at Oxford University and he goes into miracles in great depth and classifies them. Every author likes to classify things to death and there are five or six types of miracles there both in the Bible and in other places. And the summary I've put here is that Lewis says that a miracle is an interference with nature by a supernatural power. You'll notice that he does not say that a miracle is something that contradicts the laws of nature. Anything that happens does not contradict the laws of nature, otherwise it wouldn't happen. It's just that we don't know the laws of nature well enough. That's Lewis's point of view, and many of the scientists I spoke to also. Just because we haven't seen it before doesn't mean it's contradictory. Elier, I think, was the one who told me when Christ turned water into wine, he did the same thing that God does through nature all the time, only he did it faster. Why can't he do it faster if he made the whole business in the first place? So it's not a contradiction, it's just something we haven't seen very often. The Roman Catholic Church has the definition of a miracle that it is necessary in order for a person to become a saint. And if a certain number of miracles can be ascribed to a person, then it is a proof that that person is sainted. And the miracles that were ascribed, for example, to Mother Seton, who is the most recent American saint, were in our Long Island newspapers at the time. And it said, two accepted miracles, accepted miracles, think about that term, the 1952 recovery of a 15-year-old Baltimore girl from acute lymphatic leukemia, and the 1933 recovery of a New Orleans nun from terminal cancer of the pancreas led to her, her beatification in 1963. These miracles occurred long after Mother Seton had died, you see. And since these two people prayed to her and were cured, this was proof <coughs> that she was in heaven. 
And so two miracles are necessary for beatification and two more for sainthood. So there's a very specific definition of miracles by the Catholic Church, and they have a committee that looks into these stories of miracles and then decides whether they really occurred or not. And finally, we have to agree that each miracle is different and very personal. Because if a miracle happens that one person experiences and not another person, they look at this, of course, with two entirely different points of view. One is subjective, the other one is objective. Now, before we go to the other parts of this outline, I want to share among ourselves now stories that you've come prepared to tell. Who wants to be the brave one to start? In the context that miracles are very personal and that people can look at it subjectively as I do and other people objectively say it's not a person, you have to go that basis. I can recall uh, when I was a little kid, about six years old, uh, fishing on the creek reactor with my father. He was up a ways and I was down the river a ways. Being kind of small and the river kind of big and deep, uh, I was on a tree overlooking the river, slanted out, fishing there and uh, trying to get Anyway, uh, all of a sudden I felt myself going. Now the tree that I was on was a rotted tree, the bark but I grabbed onto it as I went out, and the bark did hold, and I was able to get back in again. But at that age, I wasn't able to swim. The current was swift. The banks were deep. Had I gone in there, I don't think I would have gone on it. To me, it was a miracle that the bark held and I was able to get back. As I say, it's a subjective thing. Throughout my whole life, things like that have been happening.
three of them appeared at the door, different doors simultaneously. The pastor said to his wife, I think I have to go down to the window and take over the game. The doctor said to his wife, I think we better stop over the game gilders. And his young brother said, I have to go home. And they arrived together just moments before the Three of them. I don't think the three are with the If someone wants to ask a question or comment um, on these stories, I don't want to cut it off. I just want to make sure everyone who wants to share gets a chance to do so. Yes. Can everybody hear? We have a number of books at home full of experiences of healing. People in history who have set out to destroy faith in people end up being very involved themselves. Yes. mentioned just brought something to mind and I don't know it's just something I'm throwing out because I just thought about it. Uh, she said that it was a miracle and somebody said boy you were just lucky. Now, I don't know how lucky how miracle comes in here. It is my own mind right now just just sitting there as to what was she lucky or was it a miracle? I don't know. I'm not challenging either thing but I'm just thinking about it. Well, that's a good point uh, we want to develop a little later, and that's why I say it's a personal thing. 
The guy in the nail is like a tool, isn't he? <laughs> but the other fellow who didn't pray probably wasn't so lucky. I'll talk about a scientific uh, investigation of prayer in a minute and see whether we can answer that question. I had a very similar experience with Darius, uh, and I also felt it was a miracle. I won't tell you, it was just involved driving, and, and uh, there was a car in front and a car behind, and someone stopped suddenly, and we, we, were, we just missed each other by inches. And I just, I felt too that God was present. But I want to mention too that when um, Darren Erickson mentioned books on miracles, I have a book that I can really recommend if anybody wants to read it. It's documented their stories. Do you have it with you? Yes. Let, why not pass it around? Yes. Turned out that it was the, I don't know how many people here are familiar with 
I went all the way back to the parkway on a bicycle looking for this belt. I never did find a belt. My father immediately tried to uh, convince me that we had a miracle here, and I wasn't ready to accept that easily, and so I was trying to exhaust every other logical possibility about how we managed to get home in this situation. Frankly, I have not found it any other logical explanation. Uh, I'm still not ready to say it was a miracle, but I'm ready to admit that there's certainly a possibility of the Lord's hand intervening in this situation. <laughs> you can take the word. Thank you. Yes. short of time. Does someone else have something to share with We were away on vacation last summer and we borrowed my aunt's car and the thing seemed to be pulling a little bit to the right but there was no noise or anything. As we were getting ready to come home, the left back wheel started screaming. I mean, a very high-pitched whistle and I was praying and praying and praying. And um, finally we pulled over 
to the side in this little park, and we just kept on praying about the car, and then we couldn't find a gas station. It was Labor Day. And um, we started, well, we said we'd go a little bit further and see what we could find. And the thing stopped screaming, and it didn't scream the whole way. It was like from Boston, about 500 miles. Didn't scream, didn't pull the whole way home. And that's kind of a miracle. <laughs> I think from what we've heard, um, the next statement on our outline is certainly true. When do miracles occur? They occur all the time. And Maria mentioned the very existence of the universe and of life. People will say, well, we understand all that. It's not a miracle, it's just an everyday thing. Well, does it make it any less miraculous? if it's every day than if it isn't. You notice the definition of miracles under science that I didn't mention before and that you will find uh, borne out in the book of interviews is that a scientist will call something a miracle if it's not repeatable, if he cannot repeat the conditions that produced it and get the same result. About a hundred years ago, scientists got together and or at least some of them, some of them who were more religious perhaps did not participate in this, but some doubting scientists, agnostic people said, let's find out if prayer can really produce miracles. So they suggested that the ultimate scientific test of prayer would be if they would go to a hospital and find, say, 16 people who have the same disease and put half of them in one ward and half in another and then let anybody who wants to come and pray for the half, the eight in the one ward, either there or at home, and nobody should pray for the other eight. And after a month, see whether it makes any difference. What do you think of that idea? result, and I have a description of this here, if you'd like to take a look at it, is that the test was never made, because the uproar over the idea of the test was so great that they never got around to doing it. There were newspaper articles and other, and lots of sermons and addresses given on the morality of the test, and so the efficacy of the test was never proved. However, the idea that some of the people who did not believe in prayer should get so upset over it was rather significant. And if they didn't believe in it, why did they object so much? He thinks he does protest too much, Shakespeare's Macbeth. So many people who claim to be agnostic in regard to miracles are not really agnostic when it comes to their own lives. Then they all believe in miracles, especially if they need one. In the Bible, and if we want to turn, well, I'll tell you what these passages are. In Exodus 7, 9 to 12, it tells the story of 
Moses before Pharaoh. And God instructs Moses, when you get there, you will take your staff and so on, it will turn into a serpent. And the point is that I'm using it for here, that there was a purpose for the miracle. Miracles, at least those that God performed, and we could spend some time talking about whether Satan has the power to do miracles also. But when God performed miracles, there was a purpose. He wanted to impress Pharaoh. In Matthew 24, 24, does somebody have it open there? Yes. Thank you. So when Satan does miracles, it's for a purpose too. It's for leading the believer astray. Let's go down to part C. Why do the miracles occur? There's no question during the life of Christ that people followed him in great number because they were anxious to see his miracles. And on many occasions, he even told the people who were the recipients of the miracles not to tell anybody because he didn't want people to come just in order to see him do wonderful things. He refused to do miracles for Herod, for example, because he was just curious. He was not interested in Christ's gospel. For the Christian, on the other hand, miracles are not just for the purpose of seeing something unusual. Let's look at Mark 16, verse 17. Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and never doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive, if you have faith. It's almost unbelievable, isn't it? Whatever we ask, referred to before as faith healing. I would be completely remiss if I did not, and I don't want to take a lot of time doing this, but I want to make it very clear that what has happened in my own life, in the very recent past, in answer to prayer, 
It's to me and to people who are familiar with what happened a very decided miracle. It goes back about a year when quite unexpectedly, through pressures or exhaustion or whatever it was, I came down with a very severe depression. I couldn't work, I couldn't sleep. The more I ate, the more weight I lost. And I was convinced that I would not recover from this. It went on for 10 months. I couldn't anymore get up here in front of a group or in front of a class to teach properly than the man in the moon. A lot of people heard about this and assured me that they were praying that God in some way would bring this to an end. On July 3rd, that's the day before we celebrate our independence, I experienced praying like I had never experienced it before. I was not once, I was not brought up to pray vocally for any period of time. But in reading a book on how to pray, I felt moved to pray out loud for 45, 50 minutes. And I recall vividly the content of the prayer was that God, if you're real, show yourself. Either I want to see you here in this room or I want to see something of your power so that I cannot doubt it again. Well, to make it very brief, I went to bed that night and slept for the first time in months without medication and completely at peace. And starting the next day, work that had piled up for months, Christmas cards hadn't been opened in for four months, some of you. I got to work and cleared it up and I felt like a completely different person. I told the doctor, you won't believe this. He didn't believe in God, so I told him, I want to tell you what God can do. And I started making a list. And after it got over about 30 different physical and mental changes, I decided maybe I should just stop writing and just enjoy it. And I want to thank the people, particularly at Good Shepherd, who called and assured me they were praying because a miracle occurred. And it's still going on. I have never been more alert and eager to work and gained back maybe 20 pounds. And so on. I don't want to go into a lot of details. I didn't bring the list of 30 things. <laughs> but it includes blood pressure, all kinds of physical things. It's a miracle. And if a person comes up to me, he's a scientist, all the better, and asks what a miracle is, and that it's just a coincidence, there's no way. There's no way. It was a faith healing. Newsday had a story about faith healing last week. Did you see that? When faith healing didn't heal, and these two people, very devout, refused certain medical attention for their son, and he died. And now they're reevaluating what they did, and the story says that God has told them they didn't do things right, that they should not despise medical science, that they should use faith and the, the healing arts. There is one part of the book, The God of Science, that should be there but isn't. And it's a very strange coincidence in connection with today's lesson. I made an appointment with the head of Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore, probably one of the best known hospitals in the nation. 
find out what he believes about miracles. And he spent an hour with me on a Saturday morning and told me that every doctor that he has ever seen believes in miracles. Because a doctor can only do so much. A doctor can cut, he said, but a doctor cannot heal. The doctor cuts and then he waits. And then the Lord heals. Unfortunately, for the book, the next interview was taped on top of it. And this doctor is forever wondering, probably, why his material wasn't good enough <laughs> to get into the book. And I don't have the courage to go back and tell him, let's do it all over again, because he took time off and everything to come to the hospital on a Saturday to tell the story. his name. Margaret, what's the surgeon's name? Dead uh, love's friend. Coop. Coop. K-O-O-P-P. I think. The doctor who separated the Siamese twins some years ago was a devout Christian and a, a good friend of a friend of ours and comes here to Long Island to meet with them and um, I think has written articles and books on it too. If you see one by Dr. Coop. I think he's in Philadelphia, K-O-O-P. His own son was killed mountain climbing in New England. Um, and to hear his confession of faith in the face of that experience, very reassuring. And as you will read in the little confession by Elie that I gave you, a lot more people believe in God and in miracles than you would think from the stuff that you hear and read on television and in the newspapers. They just don't have the opportunity or courage to confess it. And in some cases, when they spoke to me for the interview, they said, we've never had so much fun talking about something that no one ever asked us about. Let's just go on and on. People are eager to talk about their religious beliefs, and particularly if they're Christians and their experiences in Christ. Then I asked the question, what is the greatest miracle of all? If you would ask a person, what, what's the most wonderful thing that you could ever imagine? It's strange the consensus I got from the people I talked to, almost to a person. They said it's the resurrection from the dead. One scientist said if he would hear about somebody rising from the dead, he would write it on a little card and put it in his file and wait for another incident and put it in the same file. He would not discount it. He wouldn't be a scientist if he would throw it out. If somebody reports something, he reported it. You can't say he didn't report it. You can't say it's not true because you don't know. And the Bible certainly agrees the ultimate miracle is our resurrection and salvation. And the exciting thing is, in the last passage, John 11, 25 to 26, we don't even have to wait for it because we already have it. Jesus says, those who live and believe in him will never die. He's saying that to be born again as a Christian is already a resurrection. That is already the greatest miracle, that we're Christians. And we're going to go right on into eternity being Christians. 
And as I told the students at the high school the other day, if we're all Christians and are going to spend eternity together, we ought to start getting along with each other because we're going to spend a lot of time together. And if there's somebody you don't like, you better make up with them. How can we be angry at a person we're spending eternity with? It's a long time. Everybody likes to hear about miracles. Of course, if it happens to somebody else, you always question it. Yeah, maybe you're stretching it. But to the person to whom it happens, there is no doubt. And if it's not related to our life and faith, then we should question it. There are miracles, as we heard, that are not of God. Why did God give Satan the power or allow him to do miraculous things? Why did the it always bothered me when Moses went to Pharaoh and threw his thing down and became a serpent. And then the priests of Pharaoh came up and threw their sticks down and became serpents too. I always wondered, were those real serpents that the priests of Pharaoh made or not? Maybe there was just some kind of a tube with something inside and it broke and it crawled out. I don't want to believe that Pharaoh's magicians were as good as Moses. But God took care of it, Moses' servants ate up all the others. <laughs> Anything in closing that someone would like to share who hasn't had the opportunity, Jen? I was going to share a story, but I won't because the time is so short. But I want to just say that I think because we are walking with our Lord every day, that every miracle happens to us every single day. It's just whether or not we're watching for him. Because he's guiding our footsteps every day. He's guiding everything that happens to us. I just wanted to share a verse in Jeremiah 29. Or a couple of verses. Which really mean a lot to me. Because it shows me that God is guiding my footsteps every day. And I've been seeking him. I'll see these miracles happening every day. And it makes little things about the fact that God. Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I think that's when we do find him, when we seek him with our whole heart. We will walk the earth in our own life. people. A miracle can take place in any of a number of ways. 
electricity, which is the power of God, is coming in through the cord here. And when I throw the switch, these are just rods of iron here that are stuck in here. There's no connection with the wall at all, no visible connection with the electricity. Here's an aluminum ring, not iron. And when I throw the switch, The electricity, the power, has been translated into mechanical power. Makes some people move. <laughs> now, if we had a little more time, if you hold this ring down here and keep it from moving. In about 30 seconds, this gets too hot to hold. And if I held it there longer, it would melt. Some people just heat up <laughs> with the power. Some move. Others, and it'd be better if we had the lights off, but we can still get the same effect here. Some just light up. Thank you. And after this, as a result of this flight, no serious changes have to be implemented. There are some very minor things, well, like Lukovishnikov said a moment ago, just change the angle of the fan. Программе немножко времена некоторые сократить, некоторые увеличить. Это просто из-за удобства работы. Мы рекомендовали. Это тоже не меняет сути программы. Допустим, где-то 10 минут добавить, 5 минут добавить. Исходя уже из реальной обстановки. А в целом полет очень был успешным. Подтвердил, надежный. But as a whole, the flight mission was a success and improved the reliability of the was just to follow up, was that highly elliptical orbit you got actually a planned one, one you initially wanted We'll provide certain economic benefits. We'll provide us with revenue, as he said. Tell me the uh, Russian cosmonaut. So why why did you want to become a cosmonaut to begin with? And how were you selected? Why isn't Boris Pasternak a cosmonaut? Uh, uh, 
Well, in the beginning I wanted to be a pilot. And I became но затем, когда появилась возможность полетов в космос, я считал просто, что это логическое продолжение моих стремлений. Подняться выше, чем на самолете, полететь быстрее. Я считаю, что каждый человек должен посмотреть бы на свою родную планету со стороны хотя бы один раз. Но все вы понимаете, что таких возможностей сейчас просто нет. Когда можно будет в отпуск отправиться в космический полет? Well, first of all, you have, one has to have the desire. And you have to remember when a man voices his desire, well, he's usually tested. Does he have a sufficient education to participate in space flight, in space exploration? Имеет ли он достаточный опыт работы для того, чтобы выполнить работу? Мы подходим к опыту. К сожалению, вот требования имеет ли образование и опыт работы накладывает то, что люди, которые участвуют в космических исследованиях, не очень много. Unfortunately, these uh, prerequisites, you know, education and experience, uh, these requirements uh, lead to the fact that some of the possible people who fly in space are not all that young. Вы помните, 
включение Томми Сойери и Гелли Фрин. Это книга очень популярна. And to some degree, our joint training enriches each song. Особенно много нового мы таких тренировок не узнаем, потому что вот это схожий принцип у нас. Because of the similarity, similarity of concepts or principles, we haven't learned too much that was new, completely. Но все же это нас обогащает, мы что-то перенимаем друг у друга, хорошее, полезное. А так вот и американские страны, приезжающие к нам, и тренирующиеся на Советский космонавт, который садятся в тренажер американский. Нужно очень мало времени для того, чтобы освоиться с обстановкой и понять принципы управления и управления. Нет времени. If that comes to I was very clear. In other words, one day get into another country simulated. They do not find it difficult or they do not spend very much time uh, learning to fly the space for the space of the other country because of the similarity of principle. 